Hey everybody, thanks for joining me today for another episode of the NHS 100k podcast with me, Matt Taylor. Uh, today I'm joined with Devon. She is, well, Devon E. Jones to be specific. She's a, a registered nurse based over in New Jersey and she's been shouting and screaming about a lot of this stuff from early doors, much like myself. And it's nice. I think you might be the first nurse from the States I have. I mean, I have doctors and all sorts of, but anyway, so I've got Devon. How are you? Devon, welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Very excited. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. So Devon's based over New Jersey. So we've got a time difference. So it's six o'clock in the morning over there and 11 o'clock here. Um, and I might say you do look dashingly beautiful for this time of morning. So thank, thank you for that. You. All right. You. All right. Don't worry. I'll, I'll... <laughs> <laughs> she sent me an email earlier on to, uh, to make sure I said that. No, she didn't. She didn't. But uh, so, yeah. Um, trying to get people on the show that uh, I've got stories, um, boots on the ground sort of stories. And those of us that work in healthcare know that having the doctors on is great, but some doctors uh, don't have a clue what's going on Re in reality, what's uh, what's been going on in the wards um, and all that kind of stuff. So it's been good to speak to uh, nurses, um, ambulance staff, uh, and then everyone else that works in, in the healthcare setting. So as I said, you're a registered nurse based in New Jersey. Now we were talking off there about a few bits and pieces. So there's there's a lot of stuff to kind of cover as to your um, preface, preface, however you want to say it. So I don't normally do this, but I, 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 we said after it was probably the best question to ask. So tell us where COVID was for you and like, you know, you're sort of starting into the situation and then you can go back to the, um, the situation before that happened that ties in quite nicely that you spoke about. Is that all right? Or was that too open-ended for you? No, it's, it's totally fine. Good. Hit me then, Devin. Hit me. Yeah, if I start to ramble, just pull me back. Cause... Oh, you're American. I'll just mute you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm <not> joking. <laughs> I'm joking. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. <laughs> I don't have a mute button. I'm just messing. Um, so when COVID hit, I was working in um, a hospital in New Jersey, Summit, New Jersey, I worked on a medical surgical floor, which um, is a misnomer for where I was actually working. It wasn't surgical. We weren't getting the post-op patients. We were getting um, the very chronic medical patients, uh, a lot of comorbidities. We had all the acronyms. We had uh, COPD with emphysema. We had the kidney disease. We were uh, certified to give perineal dialysis, a lot of diabetes patients, um, COPD, or I said COPD, we had a uh, cardiac patients. We were med tele, uh, sepsis. We were very, very heavy floor. We mm. also had a lot of patients. We were already vent certified Why we had respiratory therapists that did all the settings and managed everything. We were certified for, uh, making sure the airways are patent, making sure the vents were actually working properly. We were the ones in the rooms, uh, in between doing all the care, heavy, heavy, uh, wounds, wound vacs. We were, we were what we considered a dirty floor. We had a lot of infectious disease already. Um, all, a lot of the flu patients during the winter got sent to us. We had, um, all the nasty bugs. We had MRSA, we had VRE, we had C. diff. It was, it was a, a very intense floor. Um, so when COVID hit, we were actually one of the, um, outside the ICU, we were one of the most prepared, uh, units to help care for these patients. And it was funny when um, I remember seeing the news clips and my dad being like, did you hear about this virus? And I was like, dad, it's coronavirus. It's the cold. Like no one's going to give a shit. Like, and I remember just being like, blow it off. No big deal. <laughs> and then um, 
oddly, we where my hospital was situated, we were on the main train line, one of the main arteries coming out of New York City. So we were one of the first people, our first uh, hospitals to really start seeing it coming into New Jersey. And at first we were like, oh, this is crazy. We were only like quarantining people that were like, had traveled to Italy. And then it like progressed and snowballed from there until it was like everybody that came in. And at first we were like, oh, it's like one or two. Um, I think we saw our first patients at the end of March. By the end of April, we were shell-shocked. We got slammed. Mm. And it wasn't just like patients coming in with COVID. Um, It was patients, young patients that we weren't used to seeing on our unit. Um, They were like pre-diabetic coming in and were couldn't breathe. Um, it was really terrifying. I woke up one morning and I couldn't stop crying, um, because of the things that we were seeing. It was very strange, um, compared to what, how my, the end of my story ends is Mm -hmm. that my husband, I would come home from work because it was that it was those early times and we didn't know what was going on. We were terrified. We didn't know what this virus was capable of. I was coming home and I was stripping outside, going straight to the shower. Um, more precaution than I usually took working on the floor that I did. <laughs> like it was pretty gross to me. Um, I woke up one morning and went to work and one of my patients had been vented. One of them had died two of them were down in the ICU and that was a shift of like six patients. Like half of them were just doing terrible. Um, I remember telling people in like, I remember one young lady, she was like, is this really that bad? And I was like, most people are going home. You are going to be fine. You could kind of tell by the shape people were in when they came in, how they were going to deal. Yeah. I was like, you're going to go home. You're going to be fine. It's not a, it's not an issue, but the people that were coming in and laboring, we were begging them like, please just stay in bed, just stay in bed. If you get up and you lose your breath, that's when we end up sending you. Yeah. Uh, and it was our protocols at the time. Um, residents, we were a, a teaching unit or a teaching hospital. So residents kind of knew our floor and we're like, if the nurses on up on that unit, call you, like you go, like it's, mm-hmm. They're, they're really bugging out. And our protocols then were like, if someone was having difficulties breathing, you put them on a nasal cannula. And then if their saturation goes down, you start progressing. You get out the, you increase the oxygen. If that's not working, mm-hmm. then you start putting on the non-rebreather. And then if that's still not working, you call a rapid response for ICU to come evaluate them. By the time... I left that unit in July. We were putting patients on nasal cannulas, non-rebreathers, and then proning them before we even batted an eye. Um, it was really intense. So um, this was 2020, was it? Or 20, yeah. Okay. This, been- this was spring of 2020. Yeah. And I actually already been, lo- I had been on that unit for about five years, almost five years. And I was starting to look for a new position. I really wanted to like sow my oats there, like get my, like learn everything. Like that was the hardest unit on the hospital outside the ICU. Mm. So I had my time there um, and I was looking to move down to the ICUs. I had done all like the rounds, figuring out which one I wanted to go to. I could basically have like my pick. And um, when COVID hit and I told my boss, I was like, 
I know I'm supposed to be leaving, but I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to stick this out um, until there's like a safe spot for me to leave. Mm. And it was really intense. Um, I, <laughs> we were asking each other, even like the text, we were all like, are you guys crying a lot? Are you guys okay? And everyone was like, yeah, we're crying a lot. Like on my way home, on my way to work, it was just like silent tears, just dread and fear. It was crazy. Um, I, I felt a little silly afterwards because, um, I wasn't one of like those TikTokers. I'm usually like a very like low key, um, I can have a hard face. So like I'm sometimes unapproachable. And so like, I'm, I'm not like an, a bubbly person. Usually I'm just nervous right now, but, um, I was like, I was taking pictures of myself and sending it to my family. Cause like I, I had those N95, like all mm. those the, the pictures you saw online and um, I was telling my family, I was like, this isn't a joke. This isn't funny. Like you guys, they're in South Carolina. And I was like, you guys are going to get hit hard if this is spreading the way that we think it is. And it was weird because it didn't. Hmm. Um, other areas didn't get hit like we did. And that was when part of the narrative started falling apart for me. And I started putting it together that we were a special case because of the train line um, and where it came from New York. And it was shocking that it wasn't spreading like I thought it was. Um, and then from there, the narrative started falling apart. Our, everyone was social distancing. Everyone was staying home from work. Like my husband was home from work. It was very bizarre. Thank God he was because... Um, I had to be honest with like the lady that watched my kids. Um, I was like, I am a, I'm working the COVID units. Like if mm. you can't come to my house, I'm going to be upfront and honest with you before this gets crazy. Like this is what's happening. And she very, she was like, she lived with her grandmother. So she stopped coming, which was completely acceptable. So my husband, thank God was home to take care of the kids. Um, and actually <laughs> a kind of shitty side note. I didn't know when I had my first COVID patients, um, but after the first month, I actually found out I was pregnant. Oh, and congratulations. Belated. Thank you. He's two now, totally oh, healthy. Good. And that's story. And so like when this first started happening and I found out I was pregnant, a lot of nurses left, a lot of techs left. Um, they either quit outright or just um, got themselves transferred because they had um, uh, health issues or just were scared. Yeah. Um, so my husband and I had a pretty deep conversation about whether I stay or not. And um, I had a weird incident when I was a kid that I, I was a coward <laughs> and I was always kind of shameful. I didn't talk about it for a long time. And I was like, this is going to be one of my moments in my life where if I don't stick up and do what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to regret it forever. Um, so thankfully my husband supported me and I was like, I'm the best trained and these people are sick. And so my ass got up and went to work and silently cried in the car. It might've also been hormonal, who knows, <laughs> but, um, being pregnant that first trimester, um, mm -hmm. and I got up and I went to work and I took care of these patients. And then, um, so the narrative change for me was, in that like context, our break room was really tiny. It was like the shittiest break room in the hospital. It was probably like seven feet by 20. It was just like a, a long, narrow galley type thing where like mm. 
it had like two long tables in it and you had to like squish kind of like squeeze to get down to the table where the empty seats were. And that was our break room during COVID. There was no social distancing. All of us were basically exposed I and mean, we were, we were lucky we had the PPE. We were reusing our N95s, but we had N95s. Yeah. Um, even though they were being washed. Can I, can I just interjected something? So with, with, with the pregnancy side of things, so when, how long are you so over here in the ambulance service I, I don't know about the actual hospitals really but if they get a whisper that you're pregnant mm-hmm. um you're off the road uh I, I used to remember lots of female colleagues that would delay telling um oh, yeah the ambulance service that they were pregnant because they knew that they'd get taken off the road and given light duties or or whatever and they did they didn't want to do that at the time so is, is there a, a cut-off period in in uh I was going to say the health service, yeah, NHS over there, but uh, for you guys, you know, is there a cutoff time for when you, you should technically go on maternity leave? No, because I know that in England it was a case of once they knew you were pregnant, they wanted you out of there because if there was any way you could potentially say that it was, any damage to the baby was caused by this, that yeah, they'd get you out of there. You see, so interesting that they they didn't. I thought that was interesting too. So on the unit that I worked. Um, it was a silent or it was an understanding that um, if you were pregnant, they wouldn't give you the TB patients. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You got out of the airborne precaution rooms. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but like some nurses I knew worked up to the day they gave birth. Like Really? See, I'd, man, I'd, I'd, uh, I don't know how I feel about that, if I'm honest, because, um, you know. I even, so like a lot of the, that's why I, I think I'm, I was a, a special case and maybe like a little bit um, negligent um, towards myself. Mm. But, um, I, I, um, what's it called? I told my boss straight up. Um, I'm not one to hide and I don't have a good poker face. So like I, I straight up when I found out I was pregnant, I was like, Hey, this is what's happening. I want to be honest with you. Um, cause a lot of people use that as their card and they're like, they noped out like of yeah. other units. Cause we weren't the only unit. We just ended up being the long-term COVID unit. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like I said, I, I'm, I'm a little stubborn and I have a code of ethics in, in me from my past experience where I was like, I'm, I'm not going to fuck this up. Like Ooh. I'm pregnant but I'm going to do the best that I can. I'm going to wear my PPE. I'm going to be very like on top of it. I'm, just, and there's nothing I can do about it. Cause I have to be here. Mm, yeah. And I, the, do you know what? There's a lot of people, I think you have to have that part of you to work in medicine full stop, no matter what level you're at, you have to have that empathy. And I don't know many people. Who, people don't. <laughs> well, I, I thought that's that's what people had, but I remember where, when I was in the ambulance, I used to get so frustrated with other people not wanting to put themselves in as much, not so much danger, but I was like, you're superheroes to an extent. You don't walk around thinking you're superheroes, but you have to kind of, you are in sure. respect of, you know, saving people's lives. Measures, you have to be that person that they expect to show up yes. when you're sick. And yes. who, like, I would want to show up for my kids or my parents. Like I have to be that person or mm. I'm not going to be here. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what we used to, I'm ex-military as well. And there used to be a few other lads that were ex-militaries. And one of the first things we say, make sure you look smart. Because if you've got somebody walks in the house that looks smart, straight away you think, well, he 
probably knows what he's talking about. Some of the people used to walk in, they had their slept in their shirts, hair. All it's like, come on, man. If someone walked into your house who looked like they've been sleeping on the streets all night and picked up a uniform, would you, you know, or if you've got someone that's coming in and he's clean shaved and well presented and, you know, you think, actually, I like this guy, but they just didn't get it. it was, you know, once the 12 hour shift ended, that was it for them. Yeah. Really. But anyway, sorry, I'll digress. So um, obviously the hospitals pretty much around the world are not built for social distancing, which is ironic, isn't it? Because there's COVID's not the first airborne part, um, pathogen we've, we've had to deal with, is it? You know, no. no. So, um, so obviously continue. So you're talking about your break room. So there was no way of being able to socially distance while you were pregnant. How long did you work up to? Sorry, I keep, five questions at once. Sorry. No, you're fine. Um, I worked on that unit until the, the first wave ended in July. Right. And then I moved down to uh, the oncology hospice unit because I was I had been wanting to go to the ICUs, but the only um, shifts available were night shift and being pregnant. And then I already had one baby at home. I wasn't having a newborn working night shift on ICU. Like, no, that wasn't going to happen. I kind of that dream. I was like, all right, that sailed. Um, so I the unit that I was on, I was, it was a very heavy unit and I was used to working with, um, DNR patients, like do not resuscitate patients, mm -hmm. um, and end of life that, um, I was just, I was used to working with it and oncology hospice ended up working, being a, um, a perfect fit for me. Yeah. But, um, yeah. that's, that's further. Mm -hmm. um, so, well, okay. So how, okay. So you were, how many months? How many months pregnant were you while still working on the COVID ward? Is what I wanted to know. Oh, um, first trimester. I first just trimester, I was yeah. like six weeks when yeah. I found out. It was very very early. A high risk point as well. <laughs> oh, mm. oh, I forgot about that story. I'll tell you that. No, so let me tell you about the, and maybe I'll digress a little bit. So, okay. so okay. I'm up here working my ass off on the COVID unit, terrified for my family at home, terrified for myself, terrified for my baby. And um, I go to my first um, OBGYN appointments and I actually didn't notice right away. I think I might've been eight pregnants when I, or eight weeks when I noticed that I was pregnant because I was just so distracted. And so I went in for my first um, visit and then you go to get your ultrasound here at like your first one, I think is at like 12 weeks. Yeah. And I go in and there's, um, or no, it was, no, it was at my eight week appointment and I went in and there was no heartbeat. And I was like, it's kind of shitty. You're terrified. Is it mm. early the pregnancy earlier than you expected or is it not a viable pregnancy? Mm. And so they gave me a script to go for an ultrasound and I couldn't go because it was non-emergency. And there wasn't- oh, a it wasn't, Sorry, sorry, your employer wouldn't let you go because it was a non-emergency. Oh. Yeah. Nice. And not, not, not my employer, it wasn't my, it was the same hospital network I worked for. Um, I could go on my days off. They, right. The um, ultrasound office wouldn't take me even though I worked there on their COVID units and I was pregnant and I didn't have a heartbeat for my baby, I could not be seen. What so, was there, because it wasn't an emergency is what they said. Yeah. And then, so I had to wait for my 12 week appointment and I go to go 
and no one's allowed to go with me. I can't have a support person. And I was like, I'm about to find out. So I'm still working the units for another four weeks. Don't know if my baby's alive or not. And I can't be seen anywhere. I'm like in the break room. Like I stole the Doppler in like the shower room and I'm trying to listen, but I'm not, I don't do beats. I have no idea. Um, and my husband couldn't come and I'm begging them. I was like, you don't understand my situation. I need my husband there. And they wouldn't not even, they wouldn't even budge. And it was like devastating because of the work that I know I'm putting in, not just on the unit, but doing everything I can for family members. They won't even let me have them on the phone when I'm in there because whatever. COVID can go down the phone. (laughs) Thank you. Exactly. It was asinine. Mm. Um, So that's, that was my digression story. Um, was, was I, I assume the baby, you found a heartbeat, I assume, yeah, obviously. It actually yeah. ended up that I was earlier than I thought that I was. Uh-huh. Okay, um, so everything was totally fine. Um, very lucky that I didn't have to deal with anything else on top of that. But, would they have been more supportive, do you think, if COVID wasn't a thing at the time? I, mean, I would have gotten in and it wouldn't have been a problem. I would have gone right for the uh, ultrasound and I would have found out right away. It wouldn't have been an issue. So it's interesting that a, I think people need to kind of bold this comment really so despite the fact you've been in the same hospital you know you know I'm working there and everything else because COVID was there they didn't see because it wasn't an emergency but if COVID wasn't there they would have seen you because actually it was an emergency because you know a viral embryo without a heartbeat is potentially problem wow so obviously so so the 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 um, the common sense of science was already falling away at the wayside right early doors then, weren't it, I suppose? Um, the logical side of things. Yeah. Oh, okay, so what, so um, your... Oh, so that was part of the narrative. And then to go back to the break room, describing my break room. Yes. Um, and we're sitting there and we're all just, no one talks in the break room because we're all just like shell-shocked. Like it was terrifying. And we obviously have to eat. So we have our masks off. And one of the texts was like, yeah, my husband has COVID. And this was still early on. And we're like, oh, mm, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. What are you doing here? Mm. And I mean, like none of this was her fault. She was, we were like, did you tell somebody? And they were like, yeah, yeah. And he was a, um, he worked in public service and he had covid she said it was very mild she told our employer and the employer was like you're not showing any symptoms you can go to work okay problem and didn't make any accommodations for her to sit in another room every the whole i can't even go get an emergency ultrasound and they're telling her it's okay for her to come to work in our break room and it was just like, the, it was like the first time I really cocked my head and I was like, the fuck? <laughs> yeah. What is, what are, what are we doing here? Um, it was hard. It hurt. It, mm. it was like, the, like, I always knew I was a cog in the wheel working in the hospital, like that I could leave and someone would take my spot. But that was the first time I realized how um, dispensable I was. <laughs> Yeah, right. what personal sacrifices I was making. And I went home and told my husband, I was just like, you know what? I'm here for my patients and that's what I'm going to do because we were already so short staffed, mm. um, but m- gloves are off. This mm. is 
Um, And then, so I stayed until July. Um, Things were calming down. Our unit was clearing out a little bit. And so I told my boss, there's a, there's an opening downstairs on the cancer uh, hospice unit. I want to take it. And she was like, no problem. She called up, went for an interview that day because I had been upfront with her at the beginning. Sometimes people are like, kind of like, oh, they don't want to hurt people's feelings and they go interview around people's backs. That's not me. Um, I was just right up. I was like, I'm leaving this unit. I'm done. I love you. And that had been like months before COVID had hit. Um, So she was, and so because I'd been upfront and honest with her, she was like, no problem. We'll get you out of here. And so I went downstairs in July. Plus, be, being pregnant, it kind of sped up my timeline more than I was already willing to give. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was fun. So my brother's getting married the same time. He's he's getting married on a beach in South Carolina. So he's like, I'm just gonna do it. If people aren't comfortable, they don't have to come. But we're not. They were. They're like, we're not waiting. Yeah. And my brother and I are like twins born at different times. There's no way I'm missing his wedding. So when it actually was like a perfect storm. Um, cause South Carolina at the time was a, a red state. I don't know if you guys did that, but they categorize states up here by color in their COVID numbers. Oh, right. state no. in the number, don't travel there. And a green state was like, oh, they've got nothing. Um, so South Carolina was a red state and I was like, it's totally fine because I'm coming from a red unit. So mm. it's not like it matters. I'm going to go down there on my, after my last day on this unit, it, the timing was like gorgeous. And I was like, and I was upfront with my new boss. I was like, I will go down there. The wedding is like right after I quit. I stop on the, the first unit mm. and then I'll quarantine for two weeks. And then I'll start on the oncology um, hospice unit because I don't want to, I had to quarantine anyway, because of where I'm coming from. I don't want to get these patients sick. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I go down for the wedding and when I'm down there, I get a call from my employer saying, don't worry about quarantining. You can just come back up and start working. And I'm like, excuse me? Not even just the travel. You're not supposed to have interstate travel, but I'm traveling to a red state. And I had COVID patients last week. Mm. Don't just come back to start working. Okay. If that's what you want. Hmm. So that was like another eye opener where I'm like, where's the incentive here? I'm not comprehending because if I was a patient at that time, knowing how little we knew, or at least I knew, I would rather be on a unit that was short staffed than have like a COVID nurse come down immediately when I'm going through Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I'm severely immunocompromised. This, this, very people we're supposed to be protecting. Yeah. Yeah. Which becomes relevant later on. <laughs> well, well, this is, I mean, th- this is why I like these conversations because we're all talking about stuff that happened two years ago without knowing anything about the vaccine or the jab, uh, you know, anything to do with the. the, the get there yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We haven't even got it yet. Exactly. So it's interesting having listened to these stories uh, and knowing what we know now um, because you're a bit like, well, what, what did they know that we didn't? Yeah. If anything, or were they told, look, you you know, those apply, those the rules of COVID don't apply to, to staff. Um, oh, I don't know. Man. I mean, I, I was subjected to some really wishy-washy things as well when when we when I was working as well. But you couldn't. Um, I mean, what can you do? Because because I'm sure you had the same. I I highlighted and 
raise a lot of these things to my management and ended up just um, not kind of getting into trouble, but put a target on my back a little bit, I think. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. I understand. I'm pretty outspoken too. Um, I think one of the things that um, saved me is I'm not like overtly mouthy, but I kind of get that like, I'll, I'll, I don't need to call people out in public, but like I'm going to come into your office and be like, like, mm. is that what we're doing? Like, mm. is that okay? <laughs> and like, yeah. I'm going to be very upfront and honest and tell you how I feel. Um, and I think that's what I got a little further than I could have mm. because I wasn't, when I was working, I wasn't mouthy to like my, my, I didn't talk to my patients about it. Um, and because you never really know who's on the same page. I didn't really mm. talk to my coworkers either um because i still needed to work with them as a team and i i felt i i felt not that i actually got any discrimination from them about my choices um i got some teasing towards the end when they knew i was leaving but um mm. or being fired but um it was they were actually really kind but i i didn't bring up a lot of it then i just it was to my managers that i okay so yeah everybody heard that right she was fired she was sacked so we'll uh we'll uh We'll, we'll, we'll circle back to that, yeah. as they say. Yeah. Um, so, so now we're at the point where you've gone to obviously brother's wedding. So that was all great. You've gone started on uh, oncology. So now I presume you're in what second, third trimester, second at least. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So obviously showing by yeah. now potentially yep. showing signs and all that. Okay. So what? And by now we were coming into the looming mandates of the vaccine by now. Yeah. So. Uh, so. I worked up until my last month. So I worked until I think it was like the beginning of November. Um, my son was born in December. Because <laughs> actually it was kind of like he was literally like the first lockdown baby. Come out with a surgical mask in his hand and a PCR test. You know what I mean? Is that fresh? <laughs> Basically, like he was like COVID? Yeah. Wow. So he was born the beginning of December. And I worked until the beginning of November. Um, and vaccines were being talked about. And I think as I was leaving, I don't remember the exact timeline, they were starting to offer it to, uh, healthcare workers if they wanted it. And it was very, very like the emails were like, if you want it, if you're interested, you don't have to. Um, and actually I forgot to mention that July before, um, when I was leaving, they had actually started offering uh, antibody testing for any employees that wanted to have it. And I was like, super curious. I would love to know. Um, mm. And I was negative. I, at that time, I was negative. So um, working in on the COVID unit, uh, wearing my PPE, if whatever, I, I didn't get it, which was surprising. Cause like I had picked up night shifts then mm. I was extremely tired. Like if you're going to talk about run down, that was run down very, mm. not the healthiest at the time. Um, so I tested negative, which was great. Um, so then later that fall when they started or that winter, when they really started offering COVID vaccines, um, I knew from previous employment that, I, I was like, and, and I was pregnant and then mm. breastfeeding. I was like, no, I, I'm good. I'm not going to fuck around with this. Like I yeah. fucked around enough <laughs> where I, I was on the units. I don't need to like put myself in deliberate, like 
in like um inflammation like it's just a thing i don't need right now <laughs> no i know what you mean you know what i mean yeah it's always yeah you don't want to put yourself in unnecessary harm's way <laughs> yeah mm. which is a funny unnecessary all of it's unnecessary um well this is the thing this is what people don't realize going to work every day was a hazard for us although they didn't think it was part of your job yeah yeah no it's part of your job but if uh, you as a vulnerable person because they don't realize that there are any, uh, medical staff that are also yeah. vulnerable and have uh, conditions that they deal with daily if you were told so sorry don't care go go work you know yeah. how many people would have gone all right then you know what i mean and they don't they have no idea what we were subjected to um apart from the tiktok videos which i want to talk to you about later as well yeah that sort of stuff as well because i think they're all fake to be honest with you because two reasons one nhs staff can't dance that good um two there was so many different color scrubs i couldn't even tell which grades there were there do you know what i mean and and three whatever manager allowed them to do that whilst oh on shift how's that person still got a job i have yeah. i have comments on the last two okay so in the united states or at least my uh, hospital, a lot the ones that I've worked at or been at, they don't have color coding uh, scrubs. Mm. So some places do. Like I know, like our cardiac ICU always wore red or like stuff like that. But like my unit, you could you could wear whatever you wanted. They didn't care. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they could have been wearing different color scrubs. Mm. And then the second one is the reason why their managers let them is because the managers weren't there during COVID. Mine was, she was a special case, but like mm. all the administrators whoop, disappeared, like all of them. It was kind of funny. It was like, I, I don't know. I, I just think it's really. Uh, I, and on top of that. So on the unit that I worked, they put in these big scrubber units into each room. So to make them, um, for the positive pressure or negative pressure rooms. Yeah. They basically made negative pressure rooms. Mm. And on top of that, they were telling us at first when the COVID patients were coming in, we would have like one COVID patient and a lesser load. But by the time that our unit, we had 30 rooms and most of them could take two patients. Um, we were doubled up and we were told to minimize contact as much as possible. So, we were only going into these rooms. We were supposed to only be going into these rooms of patients that are supposed to be chronic, like dying. Twice. Mm. And Why? we went in, and when we went in, we were acting as we did have techs, but not that many. So we were doing all the vitals. Mm. We were doing all the linens. We became housekeeping. We became food delivery people and we became waste management. We were changing all the garbages. So when mm. we went in, we were like, boom, 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 boom. Mm. But then the rest of the time we were in the hallways and not that like I had a lot of sitting time, but like they were like, don't go in the, like they didn't say don't go in the rooms. I don't want to legally get in trouble, but we were only supposed to be going in the rooms, minimizing, minimizing contact at that time. Mm. Um, the goal was two or three times a shift. Um, and so we were doing everything then. So <laughs> when I was watching these TikToks, I'm like, they're supposed to be charting or like preparing for the next thing or calling patients' families. I spent a lot mm. of time in those at that time frame calling people's patients because they couldn't talk on the phone because the scrubbers were so loud. Mm. So I honestly think those TikTok people were just bored or in other hospitals that were not getting hit like we were. Yeah. People weren't going to the hospital. So I think no. their senses were so low that mm. they were all on social media. 
Agreed. I mean, we had a few people going around our hospitals filming um, outpatients, what they thought was A&E or certain parts of the hospital that they're expecting to be busy. Yeah. Closed. Yeah. Uh, and we had to say, well, they're going to be closed because they've not done no surgery. So there's going to be no outpatients. I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to say that actually hospitals are empty, but you're filming the wrong place. Oh, that's um, <laughs> you, you know, but 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 I know what they were trying to do, you know, and, and it's like, you know, outpatients is usually empty at five o'clock at night because all the surgeons have gone home, mate. So no one's doing any surgery, buddy. But go to A&E where all the ambulances are queuing up and you'll see that it's not quiet. But it's really it's, funny. I, I, I love little nuanced things like that. That just made my morning because it's just like good for you. I, you well, yeah, I, I, this is it because it's like, you know, I know I've been on both sides of the fence with regards to. I've got friends who think COVID isn't real. And then I've got friends who work in A&E that have shown me the chest X-rays of the patients that are coming in with an pneumonia. And you're like, well, something's in his chest, right? That's not- like, It's really bad. That's the yeah, thing. Yeah, it's really bad. People are dying. Now, whether you think it's, you know, yeah. RF, uh, you know, like, you know, radiation signal, whatever, people are still dying. Um, it was so hard to justify in my mind because I'm going to work and like my husband- is like, I see my wife going to work and she's like shitting her pants. Mm. And then on the other side, he's listening to podcasts and people that he respects and reading the literature. And he's like, it's not equating. Mm. And even I, it took me a long time, despite all of those things that are like, like the head turners. I was like, I'm seeing a 30 year old die. Like I saw him decompensate and like, it was very, very, very hard to justify. And I still haven't totally worked it out. Um, I think some of those early mistakes, um, we were we were over, um, we were giving them too many fluids. Yeah. We didn't know early on because we were treating them like flu. Yeah. That stopped by the time I left, they'd realized that mistake. Because um, we were one of those hospitals because we were hit so early that we were the experiment. Like we were yeah. the ones that were trying our best to figure out what best to do. And we were, like I was saying before, um, we hadn't learned to delay patients yet because if we had done that in the before times, it would have been completely negligent on our part. Mm. Um, so we were those, we were that hospital, one of those hospitals figuring out what to do and what not to do. So I think that played a little bit into what I did see. Yeah. And, I know, and I've had this discussion with a lot of people at the beginning because uh, I can't, well, I don't try and, because uh, I respect people's decisions with regard to whatever they do from, from the medical perspective, but I don't consider certain people's justifications for doing certain things where I've seen it. And, you yeah. know, that's great. You know, I'm not saying you should, but, but what have you seen? And as a paramedic, I know we don't get told everything. We just treat the patients, take them to hospital, and then we rarely find out what happens to them after that. So you treated what you thought was this, what was that? Yes, okay, he was 30. Yes, he had this. But you don't know if he had any other comorbidity. You know, there's so much stuff that was going on. Um, but you don't know as well whether, because I knew paramedics were going out and having to do cardiac arrests in PPE, you know, and putting towels over patients' faces. So when they did the CPR, it wasn't aerosol-generated procedures and things like that. And it was like, hold on a minute. You, you do CPR to push the oxygen around the body, if you're not putting any oxygen in, you, you know, and it was just like, but people were doing CPR with, with, with a person with a towel over their face. And I'm just like, what the fuck are we doing? And even the, even our resource council who tells us how to do it, sent us a, a thing at Christmas saying, yep, yeah, just put a pillowcase or a towel over their face. 
And we were joking, we shouldn't, but we were joking. If you do your chest compressions hard enough, you could make the towel levitate. Do you know what I mean? Like something out of a cartoon. Now that I'm laughing, it's going to come off so bad if you clip it. And I'm like, I'll put a towel and I'm laughing hysterically. But it's just like, that's the asinine shit that people were fucking doing then. I like, know. And you're like, hang on a minute. If there's no new oxygen going in his body, I, I do appreciate, you know, doing CPR is better than no CPR. But if you put in a towel over his face, you, you're like, you know, it's like, I, I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was, hang on a minute. You're asking me to, do, I'll just give him CPR through the mouth, mate. I'm all right with that. I'll take the risk. Thank you. Bro. I'm not going to put a towel over his face. The towel is doing nothing. <laughs> I, t I just couldn't believe it. It's like, so I don't look at his face while I'm slowly killing him then. Or, or, or you know, I just couldn't, I, 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 I don't, and then, you know, I, I had friends who were in A&E as well. They were extubating patients, you know, when you take the tube out and they were having to do it underneath, um, like a plastic sheet that was over the patient to create, to do. And these guys that I know, they're good friends of mine. Their wives were pregnant at home and they were having to go in there with no PPE, hiding under this plastic, extubating the patient and then coming up and then shutting the plastic down. So, so no air. And, and you just, it, you know, and, oh God. And it was when we started using remdesivir as well, I, I said to my mates, I was like, look, you know, it's bad, right? He goes, yeah, yeah, I know it gives a renal failure, but it's better to get them breathing first and then we can worry about their, their renal function after. And I was like, now he's an A&E person, so he's just trying to put the fire out, yeah? Do you know what I mean? By There's no point me worrying about a patient's renal function if they can't breathe. And I'm like, that's great. But if you get every patient to breathe and then they die from renal failure, it's just delaying. But, you know, that's... I'd that's personally rather die from the not breathing. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, I know, I also know someone that his wife went into hospital and she was on a ventilator for like three months and she survived. And yeah. I spoke to her afterwards and, and chat and I, I was like, because I remember speaking to him a lot through it saying, mate, if she's on that, on that ventilator for longer than sort of six weeks, mate, it's not, the, the, the stats aren't great, but she's fine. She's obviously got the fear of God in her now about COVID, you know what I mean? And, and uh, as, as you can understand, but... It, it, how is like when she came out? So we that was the first time. Usually, like we send patients to ICU, we don't see them again. Not because they died, but just because they get sent to like a, a different floor, or I'm not working that shift. This was the first time we were getting patients coming back from the ICU. So by the time I left the unit that I had been on, we were getting patient. I was getting patients back that I had sent down and had been on the ventilator for a month. And they were so decompensated. It was like mm. a quadriplegic. It was yeah. devastating to see this coming back. And then we'd have them for a while because at that time, if you were COVID, you were COVID for your life until yeah. you were discharged. Um, and so we we got them back and it was so devastating to see um, emotionally, the emotional devastation and the physical devastation. Actually, can I tell you, COVID ruined the Beatles for me. <laughs> Because um, our ICU, every time they extubated a patient, they would fucking play Here Comes the Sun. <laughs> and, and so, like, we'd be like, yeah. And then five seconds later, we'd hear the code bells going. Yeah, back in. Yeah. Intubate them. And it was happening so often. Like, I hear them now, and I'm like, just shoot me. I, I like greatest band on the face of the earth and it brings it's like uh it like puts me into like night terrors <laughs> some sort of clockwork orange have you seen the film clockwork orange there's um, some yeah <laughs> definitely some sort of neurological sort of damage there now as well 
<laughs> so okay right so i mean we could we could back and forth about this sort of stuff well this is why i like speaking to people on the ground because it's like we've all got horrendous stories of where we're just standing there literally looking going what yeah um <clears throat> and people don't understand that the, uh, when you're trying to talk to your manager and go but why do i not have to wear it when i'm doing this but when i'm doing this i'm still with the same person you know uh because it's policy uh, well, right. So going back to like doing codes with towels over people's faces, mm. our hospital's solution was we stopped doing CPR on COVID positive patients. Oh, it wasn't working. So they stopped. Well, it's not going to, is it? Cause they're normally going to this. I mean, for, I don't know if you saw this as well, <coughs> excuse me. People weren't dying of COVID. They were dying of the pneumonia that COVID was triggering. Yeah. Yeah. And I've banged down about this before. Normally with pneumonia, we all get pneumonia. It's a chest infection. You have your amoxicillin. When the doctor goes, you've got pneumonia. It's not like, <gasps> I've got pneumonia. It's just the name of the infection that infects the lung tissue. And it can be anywhere in the lung tissue. Yes. And amoxicillin is bog standard antibiotic. So when they say you've got pneumonia, you're fine. You're not going to die. Unfortunately, when you're older, pneumonia can be more severe. However, the uh, COVID was triggering, triggering pneumonia, but the mucus that was in the chest was so thick, like glue, you weren't able to cough it up. So essentially you drowned. Yeah. So CPR would be ineffective because you're not able to get any oxygen into the lungs. Right. So when I, when we started saying this to people, COVID wasn't killing people, pneumonia was. And was like, well, what's COVID doing then? And you're like, well, COVID's triggering this really bad pneumonia. And we don't know why, but then that's when we figured out it bonds to the ACE2 receptor and all that pharma pharmacological boring stuff. That's brilliant if you know. You know, so but it makes sense. When you understood that, you understood why people with comorbidities were getting infected more. Why people who were obese, because apparently the spike protein preferred fat cells uh, yes. more than not so that's why people were about and it, but but that wasn't getting out um anyway sorry enough about me so obviously you saw he saw <laughs> i digress sorry um so you were told not to give cpr to patients you were down i want to know for you so what led up to the to the to you being fired because we could sit and talk about the schematics of covid and how you know how horrendous we dealt with it all day long here but, so, so yeah I had worked previously to work my hospital experience when I was going back for my bachelor's in nursing. I had worked at a small nonprofit um, that actually was, at the time, you would call anti-vax. Um, I just had fallen into it. I needed a job and um, they paid well. I learned a lot there, um, specifically like no meds are safe and effective for anybody. I mean, like Tylenol, like mm. it's a given. Like everyone can have reactions to anything. Um, so being there and learning the American system surrounding vaccines, I, I, as a, I was already a nurse. I had been a medical assistant um, before that. Um, I had been like the first to sign up for the HPV vaccine and couldn't figure out why people were like, are, are you sure? Like, mm -hmm. like I was, I was that girl. I was like on top of it. I am Miss Medical. And so working at this foundation, I had learned the American system um, with the immunity for vaccine companies, manufacturers, and then that there are reactions to vaccines. It's There's a um, compensation program, a tax-based compensation program here called the um, NIVCP, the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program that you have to petition to get um, compensation for vaccine injuries. Yeah. Uh, it's based on timelines. It's boring, but very significant. Yeah. Um, so vaccine injury does exist. 
Um, I already knew that. And I knew that there is no liability from almost anyone. And even if you are vaccine injured to get compensation through that program is like almost impossible. It's almost impossible. And then that I already knew that the reporting system was severely lacking. Um, in the United States, we have like these, they're called VIZ sheets. VIZ, yeah, VIZ, yeah. Um, and we give that to patients like as they're, I, like I used to, I, as a medical assistant, I worked in primary care and like, we'd give that to them and be like, do you have any questions? And that was the informed consent and, um, which is hysterical. And if someone said they had a reaction, I had never even apparently read the entire sheet to know that if you had a reaction, you're supposed to report it at the bottom. It has like in tiny little print report to VAERS. I'd never reported anything. And I'd seen like mild reactions swelling fever. I, one guy got cellulitis that I know of, um, not from my injection, but <laughs> just to put that there. Um, and so I had learned about all of these things and how devastating it can be to individuals who are affected because it's, you just, you get gaslit, like you're, you're fucked. Can I just interject? Sorry. The, the place that you're working at, talking about now what what was their role so how did that why did that get give you more information and, and oh. access to, so, so what did they do the guy that i worked for was a fascinating guy um his name was barry siegel and he had made a lot of money in a, the roofing supply business and then he was basically forced I, I might be getting this a little wrong but he was forced to retire sell his business for a non-compete clause and then like, um, he just decided for the next 30 years of his life, he's actually, he's still alive. He's in his eighties. Um, he was going to help people. So he started two foundations. Um, one of them is Siegel, it was the second one was Siegel family foundation. They do a lot of work in sub-Saharan Africa. Um, disclaimer, it, it's actually one of the, the top foundations under the Clinton foundation, but um, they actually did amazing work, but I just want to give that disclaimer. So like <laughs> they go to look it up and they see that they're going to like totally discredit me. So I'm just going <laughs> to put it out there, but they do amazing work. Yeah. The second one, he started out as focus autism. He had met a kid on a plane. And as Barry described it, he says like the cells were supposed to go one way um, when he was born, but they went the other way. He's got this cute way of describing it. It's basically his way of saying that there was like a neuro um, logical condition. Yeah. And he found it fascinating. Like, why would this happen? Uh, he, one of his granddaughters um, didn't have autism, but had um, a neurological, like a, a developmental delay type situation. Mm -hmm. He was very fascinated and he had all this money. So he started putting it into figuring out why this was happening. He started funding. Um, and because of his money, he was able to get very high up in um, these organizations or people that were active at the time. Um, so I didn't meet, but he knew like he knew, I think we had like a signed Jenny McCarthy picture on our wall. Right. He knew Andrew Wakefield. He knew, um, Barbara Lowe Fisher, who I love. I met her a couple of times. She's amazing. One of my favorite, if anyone's not following NVIC, um, national vaccine injury compensation, they are a wonderful resource just to give them some credit. So he, and he knew like, um, what was the guys, the head of, uh, Home Depot. I think one of his sons was affected and has a foundation. So Barry knew a lot of these people funded and then kind of uh, over the years, he kind of took it down a little bit because they weren't getting anywhere. Um, 
because there's just so much public resistance to talking about vaccine injury. Oh, and when you get that high up with some of those figures, it can get a little controversial and you're like immediately dismissed despite, um, cause it, it can, it can, people that have been affected by it are very emotional and that kind of like deters from the conversation sometimes. Yeah. So working for that foundation, um, as someone that was not personally affected, but as like a, a professional, it was interesting. Um, it was an eye opener. So these were all people that were affected by a vaccine in the past then potentially. It, either they had children that were affected by it or um, were doing, had stumbled into the field through research that they were doing. Um, and Barry was interesting because he wasn't in that field because he wasn't, he wasn't personally affected by autism, which is how it started. And then he started looking for chronic illnesses related, the causes of chronic illnesses in children. Right. He wasn't as affected, but he also wasn't looking for funding like a lot of these people. He was the funding, um, which was interesting. He's totally out of that now. I think since I've moved on from there, oddly they're on like, he was getting into social determinants of health and now it's very um, like critical race theory. <laughs> oh, really? Like woke basically. Yeah. Um, but it is what it is. He started well. <laughs> yeah he's a he's a, a wonderful man and his heart is in the right place mm. love him to death but um so anyway so when all the vaccines started rolling out in end of more in 2021 especially when mm. i come back from maternity leave i had already knew based on the timeline and my previous knowledge of just the healthcare of just the system in place for accountability for vaccines and safety testing that there's no way in under a year you created a vaccine that was safe. How, how just timelines, I'm not even talking about research, just mm. timeline. How could you possibly know if this was safe? And the second re like, um, effective, like effective for what you just made it and you're giving it effective for how long? Mm. Like just, just the, those two questions. I was just like, that's not possible. Like, it's just not possible. And so if someone wants it, like I didn't deter my coworkers because I was like, if you want it and that's the route you want to take, it is a heroism in and of itself to be like, I am going to take this and for the common man or for like for my for mankind. Yeah, yeah. You do it. And I think at some point people are like, you're not going to. I was like, no, I don't. Like if, if I get hurt, like who who's going to pay my bills? Mm. Um, the hospital's not going to, the people mandating it aren't going to, it's just, I, I was shocked. And also at the time I was, I was breastfeeding. So I really like leaned in on that as to yeah. why, because I, I hadn't really displayed that side of myself at work before I, yeah. I keep above board and professional. Um, I didn't need to go into like making people think I was crazier than I already was. Funny, isn't it? It's fine. But when they started mandating it, um, I was I went to my manager, I was like, just just so you know, I won't be doing this, but I will be fully compliant with my testing. It was once a week testing. And if like the timeline didn't work out, it was going to be longer than a week because my shift wasn't till later. I would go up and be like, you're going to get an email saying I'm non-compliant. I just want you to know my testing is scheduled for like the next day so that I'll, it'll be compliant mm. with my shift. And she appreciated that. Like she never gave me any pushback, 
even her, the boss above her, they were super okay with everything that I was doing. Um, I, we still had the mask. We were doing the masking at work, even on the oncology unit, um, which we were doing anyway for people whose white blood cell counts were low enough. They, they were neutropenic, but we were doing it for everybody, which is fine. I will do anything for my patients, um, including testing. I had no problem. Mm. So it was interesting as I was going for testing every week, the line at first was like out the door. Nobody mm. wanted it. And I'd, if I saw somebody I knew, I'd be like, oh, like, why aren't you taking it? And they're like, the majority of the time, even up until the end, it was safety testing, safety testing, safety testing was the reasons that people were giving me for why they weren't getting vaccinated. But as the months drew on, they, they were making it more and more difficult to get in for the testing. You had to go before your shift. Um, you couldn't go during your shift. They only had certain locations available. So people that worked outpatient had to travel to the hospital for it. Um, people, they couldn't do it at their own testing center. You had to do it at the hospital. So people that really traveled for work, um, it was a huge inconvenience. Mm. Um, I was lucky that I was there anyway. I, I lived like 20 minutes away. So I would just go on a day off and go in early. Um, and it, it was important enough to me to not be lazy on this. Yeah. So, um, and I appreciated the out. I appreciated that I didn't need to make a stink. I could have my own accountability for myself and I went mm -hmm. and they started making it tougher and tougher. And the line got shorter and shorter until it was like one or two other people that I knew. And I was like, are you like, and we were just like, are you going to do it? Are you going to do it? And like, I have to be, I like, I'm married. I have kids. I have a house. My husband digs, makes decent money, but I was making decent money. If I chose to not do this for real, when our federal mandates came down, um, it, it was, we had financial plans that, um, we're going to get stalled. And mm. luckily, like before, my husband is incredibly supportive of me and was like, Devin, if, if this is the stand you need to make, like you make it. And, yeah. um, that's when I became a little bit more vocal at work. I was like, cause I couldn't believe they were actually going to do it. Yeah. The week yeah. up was like. I, I was only at that time I was working when I'd come back from my maternity leave, I was working per diem. So legally I only had to work like two days a month. I was still working. I was working part-time hours, um, scheduling myself for part-time hours. And then like the week before I was fired, I was, I worked four shifts. I was picking up extra shifts cause they were calling me cause we were so short still. I was like, they're not going to do this. Like I'm like, an ideal employee. I don't, I'm on time. I don't make a fuss. I do my work. I go home and I pick up extra shifts. I couldn't believe it. Mm. And, um, so like people were asking, they were like, Devin, don't leave. We're just going to tie you down and give you the vaccine. And I was like, like, it, it was all like in fun. Like they're joking. They just didn't mm. understand. So when people, they started, like my coworkers started asking me like in the break room, they're like, why are you doing this? And I would just present the questions like this wasn't tested this, we don't know it's safe long-term. At that time, I hadn't really heard too much about the short-term effects, although I'd known people that were already affected. Um, wow. either, uh, someone I had had a lymphatic reaction and I knew one anaphylactic. Um, and I was like, if I'm hurt, there's no compensation. There's nothing. I would rather have COVID for my risk group 
I'm mid thirties, very healthy. I, I, I don't need this. Mm. I, I'm not taking this risk for my family. This was too far. Um, so December 4th, uh, 2021 was my last shift. And, um, I had emailed, I'd sent multiple emails. You can actually see my emails on cutoffattheknees.com. Okay. <laughs> and, um, I, even after I didn't put these up, but even afterwards I was emailing them and I was like, I haven't heard anything. I have not heard from them since December 4th. Um, I, they've never actually contacted me saying that I was fired. So a year and a, uh, so did you just leave or, or what, what kind of, what happened there? Did you get an email saying, don't come back to work? I was expecting them to take my ID. Um, like my manager, my supervisor, like my, um, she was basically like the charge nurse, but she did all like the scheduling and everything. Um, there's varying terms. She actually, she loved me. I love her so much. She actually came and worked my last shift with me. Cause she was like, I'm so sad you're leaving. It was a Saturday and she came and worked with me. She, she switched days and I was expecting her to take my ID as I was walking out. Um, any sort of protocols, they never told me to empty out my locker. I did anyway. Um, I gave my friend my locker shelf. <laughs> I love that shelf. Um, but I heard nothing. Radio so, silence. So, I have my you know, I, I found out my retirement company called me and left a voicemail. Thank God I didn't answer because I love the voicemail. It's like, we've heard that you've recently severed ties with your uh, previous employer and we'd like to talk to you about rolling over your, your plan. And I was like, oh, I, I guess I'm fired now. Oh, no. right. Okay. Cause I'm trying to, I'm trying to gauge how it was happened. So, so what, did you just get an email saying don't come back to work or, or what, what happened? Uh, the last email I got was before that date saying, if you are not vaccinated by this date, December 5th will be your last day. And I just wasn't scheduled to work that day. I was scheduled to work the fourth. And that was the last email that I got. And I have not heard from them since. Wow. So you worked your last day and then didn't go in and then that's it. That was it. Nothing. There you go, everybody. That's how much the healthcare service loves its staff. Cause that would be the same. That was exactly the same for me as well, to be yeah. honest with you. Yeah. Apart from. And, and after all of that, putting yourself at risk while pregnant, doing what was best at the time for your patients, because that's all you wanted to do. And that's how you get repaid. Yeah. And, and then, then people wonder why we're so angry. Even worse. So I, the federal mandates in, in, in the United, in the United States are for anyone that accepts Medicaid or Medicare, so that means any private um, offices that don't accept them, I could still work for. So I went out and on the job hunt and I found a um, position at a surgical center. And right before I was like, I was had my interview set up. It was basically guaranteed because I oddly knew the guy. It was kind of weird. Um, I didn't know when I applied. So I had the job. And then our governor put in a mandate that all health. Uh, yeah. So our, um, that every healthcare worker in the state had to be vaccinated. So if I moved, like most, a lot of states aren't enforcing these mandates at all. Um, so if I moved, which is just difficult right now, I could, I could get a job somewhere else, but not in my state. I'm medically professionally unwelcome here. <laughs> medically homeless, as they say, instead of politically homeless, we're medically homeless. Yeah. Yeah. So what are you doing with yourself now then? Um, I had another baby. Oh. He's, yeah. He's two months old. Um, 
eight healthy. So three kids were done. We're done. That's it. Yeah. Um, three are out. And so part of the deal when I, I decided that I was going to allow myself to be fired was that I was going to, I had a year to look up, figure something else out and then have to get back to work, blew that up. Um, but I'm trying to get into, um, like coding. I want not medical coding, obviously, no, no. <laughs> but, um, like a uh, building website. That's actually why I built my site. And then Twitter was just a place to vent. Um, okay. Building, I want to start like building websites, finding something in like the tech world that's a little bit more stable. Maybe I could still work from home. But I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because those people that I know of, uh, okay, let, 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 let me, you have to have a supporting spouse, don't you? A supporting partner for a start. About it. Yeah. Or, or not have kids and maybe like live on your parents' couch. But that was one of the things. A lot of people as I was leaving were like, we wish we could stand. I, one woman actually said, Devin, I wish I could make this stand with you, but yeah. I have to pay my mortgage. Yeah. So, lady, oh. you have, you have to pay your bills. And so a lot of people were coerced into taking the vaccine because they financially did not have a choice. Yeah. And, and I, I, 99.9999% of people are in that situation. And if yeah. it's not because of that, they took it to go on holiday or they just didn't see the dangers in it. Um, and now we're just, um, we're, now we're just kind of trying to wait for everybody to get over the, uh, without sounding horrible. And it's like, right, look, you, you, you were lied to, you were supposed to believe what they said. So don't feel bad about it. I couldn't give a shit whether you've had seven jabs or no jabs. It's fine. We just need, and I keep banging on about this. We just need to get over the situation so we can fix it. Yeah. But people are just struggling to even acknowledge the fact that there may not have been something wrong. Because especially in Britain, right? We hate admitting that we were wrong or duped, all right? We, we're so bad at it, man. We're so, you know, it's just like, okay, you're not, you weren't wrong. You were sold a dodgy car by a dodgy car salesman. It, would, it happened to everybody. You so know, I, think I was first in line for the HPV vaccine. Like, I was that girl. It, it took a lot of, like, deconditioning. Yeah. And, it, and, and then and this is what, because my wife took a long time to, to kind of come around. Because obviously at the beginning, I was the same. I was taking off my clothes outside the house because I was going into care homes at the time where they were sending all the COVID positive patients back to. Right. Um, so for the last part of my career, I was what they call a specialist paramedic. So I used to do home visits, see and treat and telephone triage for, G, for doctor surgery. So I wasn't on the ambulances anymore. I'd gone, done some more training and specialized in primary care, essentially. So we'd go out and do the visits for the doctors because obviously they weren't seeing patients during COVID, um, not face to face, but it was okay for us to do it, you know, and then go home to our families. Yeah. Um, so there you go, right? Um, so they, they, you know, that was happening. And, um, you know, so I was going into the gear homes and I was coming back and I was taking off my, my uniform because I didn't know what was going on. But very quickly, you know, it, I was hearing lots of, of, about, you know, antibody dependence enhancement syndrome uh, and all the other problems that were happening. People were having, you know, the yellow card reporting scheme we have over here. I'd never even heard of it before. And I'd been a paramedic for over 10 years at the time. So I was like, I never even heard of that. So, you know, I learned more in the two years, three years that the COVID has happened than I've done in both my degrees because I actually generally wanted to read stuff um, yeah. because I felt that if you understood what was going on, you wouldn't be... Um, as intimidated or as fearful if, if you understood but as soon as you try and speak to people about it and i'm i'm not the smartest guy in the room i have a very good ability of oversimplifying things for people to, so they can understand it so i'd simplify it to them but they're just still 
Didn't want to hear. You know, I couldn't speak to my family. I've fallen out with friends. Do you know what I mean? Even now, half the family think I'm nuts. Do you know what I mean? For for but but you you know, and it, and, and I don't think people appreciate. And and then you get termed, oh, you're an anti-vaxxer, and you and you're like, right, listen. Well, if I, I to say to you that you're a fat bastard because you're fat, right? How would you feel about that? All right, you'd be offended by it because you're like, well, I'm not a fat bastard. It's like, well, you are. All right, but. I don't call you that because I'm not a twat and I don't know your I don't know your surroundings. It could be an emotional issue. It could be loads of things, but I don't say it. So for you to turn around and say you're an anti-vaxxer and you know nothing about me, whether I've even had jabs or not, it yeah. just says more about you than it does about us. But then it also stops us from being able to have communicate uh, decent communications with these people. Yeah. So, yeah. But, and even um, with my history, the anti-vax thing drives me crazy because like I had to explain to my family when I worked at that foundation what my foundation did and they'd be like because they assume where you work is obviously all your values which is not yeah. true anyone who's yeah. worked in a hospital knows that where you work is not your values um but it made me laugh because it was just like I'm still compliant with all of my other vaccines to yep. work I and they were like you had to be vaccinated for all of this and I was like no like I understand but like it's a calculated decision. It's a calculated risk to reward ratio. And this one doesn't meet it. That doesn't make me anti-vax. It makes me smarter perhaps, or not easily influenced. I mean, it's easily coerced, not a conformer. You know, mm -hmm. I've spent my whole medical career, yourself included, reading studies and being told not to to try and critically evaluate stuff and not just go by one thing that you've read, try and, you know, pick it apart. And now you're telling me to go against everything that I've been studying towards and just believe you um, on based on nothing other than it's hundred percent safe and effective because we say so. <laughs> sorry, mate. Do you know what I mean? I'm sorry, dude. You know, I'm told a lot of stuff by people. And yeah. I think you're full of shit. Yeah. Um, but what for me, and I'm sure it's probably the same for you. It was the lack of discussion that I'd never experienced before in medicine. You know, you, 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 would, you wouldn't disagree and someone would go, well, this paper says that, or this paper says that, or, you know, and you discuss it. Whereas, no, 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 no. This person's stroke is not because of the vaccine. What caused it? I don't know. Well, how can you be so sure that it's not that, but then so sure it's it? And it's like, listen to what you say. And I, I just saw so many people that I looked up to and respected just being, and I shouldn't say this, being a little bit retarded. Do you know what I mean? And it was just... Uh, and, and, and then you start to think, I'm not the smartest person here in the room. But then you realize there's a difference between being smart and intelligent. And then you're just thinking, think we, just thinking, yeah. putting things together. Because I'm not either. It's um, I'm a big question asker. Even at work, I'm like, I'm not going to pretend I know everything. But like, yeah. I know what to question. I know where to ask questions. And I'm yeah. not afraid to. No, <laughs> no, exactly. Oh, so, OK, so let's go. Let's tell people about the cough, um, cough at the knee. So um some of the girls that we work with with the nhs 100k they they put me in touch with you because they said you've been shouting a lot of stuff and and that's amazing so yeah. tell us sort of, sort of like the impromptu sort of the reasonings why um you did cut off at the knees um so one of the reasons why is like i was saying my next career i really want to learn how to build websites i thought, thought it maybe something i can do at home help raise my kids it just seemed like a, the next career path for me there we go um, and then I started my Twitter because I was like, well, I made this website. How are people going to find it? And it really kind of morphed into a place for me to vent. I haven't put any like new posts or blog posts up recently just cause like having a baby and newborn, um, which is why I delayed you so much. So sorry about that. No, don't worry, don't worry, man. Don't worry. It's fine. But, um, Twitter and my 
and cut off at the knees became a place for me to do the ranting that people in my life, I like, I try not to rant at my family and friends because it gets you cut off (laughs) really fast. They not even like permanently, like we don't ever want to talk to you again. It's just like, they just shut their ears down and I just needed a place to talk. And then the website was perfect because it became a place where like, I could say something and then like, this is why I'm saying it. And I, I could, one person, it made me really laugh because I was, I was talking to someone on Twitter and I hadn't put a link to my site. I just, they were like, well, how would you know that? So then I linked my site and he was like, you don't even know how to find good websites. You don't even know without that's junk article. That's not even by anybody incredible. And I was like, dude, like I quoted myself. It's, it's my website. <laughs> I was like, so it's, it's, they kind of work together as in like, I can talk about my experience and then here's a link to what I actually experienced that I, I can't put in however many characters on Twitter. Um, So on there, it has like my story um, as a frontline worker. Um, It has why more detail about why I refused the vaccine. Um, And then it had just a couple of other articles that I'm going to put more up just about like staffing. There's no shorts, like there's no nurse shortage. It's a myth that's been perpetuated since like what the eighties that I know of before that, there's plenty of qualified nurses out there. They just don't want to work because it's terrible. It's shit. It's shit. I mean, we got we, we had someone come on uh, because it started. To, we've got a big problem over here at the moment of no hospital beds, um, and some of it is because they sacked loads of the care workers in domiciliary care, enforcing the mandate. So there's no means of them being discharged. But um, on further sort of chatting to friends who work in the hospital as well, there are a lot more sick people, like more sick. They're taking a lot longer. To, to, to get better and there's no respite like we'd normally get in the summer months it's just constant all the time whether that's because of the vaccine whether that's because there's been delayed treatments whether you know it, it could be a plethora of different reasons um but we've had a shortage of nurses just nurses that we know off of the top of our head about 40 or fifty thousand. and then she came on the telly the other day this nhs woman saying um we got 47,000 nurses shortage. And it's like, well, it's, it's not going up significantly then. It's, it's been that 45, 47,000 mark for the last sort of five years. Yeah. But um, we keep saying to them, if you're going to charge them for their degrees, then they're not going to do it. Three-year three year bachelors they need to do and, and to be a paramedic. So you're already coming into the profession in debt, um, you know, and, and then, you know, you've got all the other stuff that they've seen happen to nurses uh, and anybody who speaks out against it. I mean, I'm, I'm glad I've done it. I've got a company that still provides event medicine for festivals and things, which I still dip my toe in and stuff, but I am done seeing anybody from a, in a clinical capacity, unless they're my friend or family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, feel- I loved nursing. I loved yeah. the ability of the job. I loved my patients. I loved the teamwork mm. satisfaction at the end of the day, knowing you've helped someone love yeah. nursing, and I'll keep my degree um, mm. or my, and my title. I just, yeah. I can't support it. <laughs> I, and I don't think people, I know doctors that are like this. I know so many doctors, especially over here that have, that have spoken out and, and, it, and it's just, it's, there are days where you have like good day. I mean, I've been at the front line of this since it started. I mean, my projection, forgive me, those listening, you'll know what's going on, but I was thrust into the limelight because I got an email from my employer before Christmas saying, if you don't have your job by this date, you'll lose your job. So I posted that <laughs> on Twitter going, sack me then. Um, and, 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 and I still maintain that now. Thankfully, my wife, obviously, I've discussed this before. 
Um, I didn't just do it willy nilly. Um, but I, I wasn't in a position like everybody. But I want to say to people, it's like I didn't I, I wasn't in a position to lose my salary. But it was, uh, you know, half my salary. But it was a case of uh, I needed my sanity, man. You know what I mean? And I was getting angry. None of my family knew what was going on. None of them supported me. The only people I could speak to were other doctors and nurses that weren't here. I felt so, so isolated. And even still now, it's it can be really isolating if you're still trying to do it, you know, because I'm still trying to stay at the forefront, speak to people like yourself and try and, but it's hard. I don't, I don't get paid for this. I still got to be a dad and work and everything else as well. And I don't even know why I do it sometimes because I just think like you're cut off at the knees thing. It's a way of me trying to vent a little bit, but um, I let everyone else talk. I don't talk. <laughs> but then if I start, I won't stop. This is the problem. Um, but it's, it's, I don't know where it's all going to end. I do believe that there's going to, you know, it's, it's, it's going to, there's going to be a massive, massive, not a civil war, but there needs to be a massive, massive overhaul. Um, and I don't think people are really prepared for just how much of a bigger overhaul it me it needs uh, from government, from the ground up, from the whole medical system. At one point, matrons used to be able to be matrons. Now you don't see your matron because she's too busy looking at the board, making sure no beds breach or, you know, and she's doing, you know, she, they're not matrons. It's, it's changed. It's, it's, anyway, I'm preaching to the choir here. Well, I get it. And I'm, I'm like, I, I'm trying to like let you go because I'm like I could jump in there and be like, yeah, oh, I know this is the thing, isn't it? And this is the thing. And and I, I've I've had quite a few doctors on here as well, and, and and I like speaking to the doctors from their 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 knowledge capacity and everything else. Yeah. And some of the doctors worked in A and E, some of them worked in general practice, so, so they've all seen different things. Um, but I know some doctors have got really frustrated with the lack of people wanting to do stuff. Obviously, over here they're still banging on about giving it to kids. Here too, I giving it to pregnant women. Uh, and I don't know how much data needs to come out to show to people that it's not great. Uh, and, and it's just, I'm just wondering when, when we're going to just sort of go, do you know what? Cause we do this thing in Britain, right? We don't acknowledge that there's a problem. We'll ignore it for so long that it just disappears into the ethos of the universe. And we don't have to discuss it or talk about it. And we could just carry on like it never happened. Right. And I think that's what the general public are trying to do. The problem is people are still dying <laughs> because of it. So it's like, that's fine. But yep. I hope that by the time we actually start talking about it, there's enough people, you know. Because yep. I, 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 I don't know about you, they've stopped giving it to under 50s over here now, I think they've they've said here. No. We're still full-fledged, everybody. Uh, every... I mean, I'm not even going to go into what's going on in the States. I love watching the States. I mean, Biden. Uh... Do you, do you, yeah, from afar, I'm sure it's great. But I'm just like, I've never been so personally affected by a president. Yes. Uh, my actual life. Like, you're not supposed to have that kind of control over my life. Um, yeah. And like kids, the coercion, there are daycares that are like, if you've been vaccinated, you only have to be out of daycare for I'm making this up five days Yeah. or, but if you're not vaccinated, it's 10 days. So now parents are having to make the choice between taking time off work and their salaries to stay home with their kids because of nonsense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or vaccinate their kids. And that's a risk that you're asking people to take with their children. Um, and it's, it's too much. I could go on. I could go on, but like, I've. No, I, I know. I think. <laughs> It's it's and then this is the this is the thing that people over here we we've got um obviously human rights as as do everywhere but our fundamental human rights basically state that we can refuse a medical intervention or procedure without having any um yeah. being discriminated against in any way shape or form well, and that's a basic fundamental human right 
Exactly. Well, what's funny is so in New Jersey, it goes state by state. I have a mm. right to an exemption. In New Jersey, they recognize medical exemptions, which are very, very difficult to get, mm -hmm. um, or religious exemption. <laughs> but because I was so open and upfront with my provider or with my employer, I was like, I'm Methodist. Um, Methodist can't really, the, the um, organization, mm. the denomination, um, condones vaccines, including this one. And actually when I got my medical exemption sheet, I looked at it. The employer actually wrote a letter on the front and they were like, if you belong to one of these religions, they uh, are for vaccines basically. So I, and I was so upfront in my letters that you can read on my website. I was like, I am not taking this because of these reasons and mm. um, lack of accountability and transparency apparently does not qualify you for a medical, for an exemption in New Jersey. And I reached out to multiple lawyers and it's funny. They were like, you were actually so truthful that you're not going to get shit. <laughs> I mean, and, 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 and how does that like translate into society nowadays? Because you told the truth now we can't help you. I have lied and done what the majority of other nurses did was go for like the online minister letters. Like there are a lot of really like you can, and you can word your um, exemptions a certain way. Like it doesn't have to be a letter from a specific denomination. There's ways to get around it and word it, but I was, I was too stubborn. Honest. <laughs> so I didn't even, I can't even get unemployment because it was a, a willful choice to allow myself to be back or to be fired. Oh, so. Yeah. So this is, I mean, there's a, there's a midwife that I spoke to the other day. She's been on my show before as well. She got dismissed the other day because of it she ran to tell me um so she's she's going to go to go down the constructive dismissal route yeah um i don't know how well we're getting on with those sorts of things because if, the problem is that the, the judges know if one goes through yeah. then you know however many thousands were dismissed we'll and all go backtrack it it's not going to count for me like people are like oh but new york is hiring back their employees and i was like they're hiring back state employees that's not private company employees. Yeah. It's just there's so many nuances that it's just like but would you want to go back? I mean, that was that was a problem with me. The next day after the mandate got reversed over here, the day before it was, but they were like, right, you know, well, first of all, they didn't tell me. I had to me message them and say, I got a job today. Yeah. Oh, we was just waiting for an update. It's two o'clock in the afternoon, mate. Yeah. You know what I mean? I knew 11 o'clock last night. Uh, yeah. And then I get a message at five o'clock. Yeah, please be in work tomorrow. And that yeah. was it. That was it. So no, no, no talk about the stresses, the interviews, the, 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 the suspensions, the dismiss, you know, and all the other bits and pieces that I had to deal with. And I was just like, right, so I'm just going to go back to work. Like nothing's happened. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and be like, yeah, I'm so good to be back. Yeah. You know, let's not talk about the fact that the only unvaccinated person in the whole team was the only person sometimes keeping it all going because you lot were all sick yeah. um, because of COVID. So I, I, I couldn't go back to work. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, well, I could have, but I would have murdered him probably, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, mm. Especially like the comments. Yeah. No, I am. Um, I don't, I wouldn't go back to work at the hospital. I'd find a, a like a, surgical center or someplace that was like privately owned. I've switched the majority of my healthcare to like non-hospital um, network providers. Mm. I'm trying to get back and support providers that are allowed to think for themselves. Um, and so I would, I would go work somewhere in a, in a private office. I yeah. would. I, I love, and also it's not even like the love with a profession. It's just like, I, I, I appreciate being able to contribute to my household. Um, yeah. And, help. Yeah, and, and society as well, isn't it? I think that, that was a thing is that you like being able to help people, the knowledge that you've got in your head, because all it takes is someone to go, what's this? And you go, oh, it's just that. And they go, oh, brilliant. Cheers. You know, and, and that's all it is, you know, and I loved being able to do that. Um, 
as well as all the other stuff he gets to do being a paramedic as well. You know, I really enjoyed all of that sort of stuff. But I, I think the only way now I can, can see myself going back into doing anything kind of healthcare related is if we, if we get rid of, rid of big pharma. And, I, and, I'm, and I'm going there to people saying, right, you need to take some vitamin D, you need to take some magnesium, you need to do, you know, let's get some bloods done to try and see what vitamin levels you've got that are low and, 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 and all that. But at the minute, you can't even prescribe outside the NHS because they want it so kind of controlled and niche. So I don't think I'd go back in unless I knew. Uh, you shouldn't have to take amoprazole and lansoprazole to line your stomach for taking other medications. This is what I'm trying to say to people. If you're having to take a tablet to protect you from the side effects of the other tablets that you're taking, just by ingesting them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, oh, yes, yeah, because of this. And if I'm taking someone that's got a knack of my stomach lining. Yeah. <laughs> just, but, you know, I'm fed up of, of of laying these ducks out in a row for people to just keep missing them, isn't they? Yep. Right. right yep. Listen, we've been on an hour 20. Told you it'd go quick, didn't I? It did. It went really fast. I know. I know. I know. It's a pleasure, too. It felt good. Yes. I know. Right. It does feel good. Speak it out. Yeah. I know. So any final words from you, Devin? No, just thank you so much for having me on helping like I, I just to be a beacon for people that are asking questions even if they're just starting out to know mm. that they're not alone and people that have already spoken out you're, you're not alone you're not the only you're not crazy yeah and, and you uh, won't get a told you so's from us you'll get some from some unfortunately you will but yeah. the majority of us welcome you with open arms because the more there us there is the more we can overturn this shit show and get back to normal yes basically exactly. Right. Well, listen, stick around. All right. I'm going to wrap this up. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for supporting me. Thank you, everybody, for continuing to fight against what's going on. And I'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye.